Good morning. So earlier in the summer, I had the opportunity for the first time to attend the Wisconsin State Fair. Uh, I didn't expect that, but apparently there's a Wisconsin State Fair fan. Um, <clears throat> I'd never been there before, and it's a pretty big deal, I guess. Um, it's big. I took Josiah, Adam, and Lucas, my three older sons. It was just the four of us that went. Uh, as first-timers to an event like that, we did all the kind of bigger popular things there you know we got to get a feel for what it's like they have a a thing called the the skyrider lift where you're on like a cable car over the top of these 10,000 Wisconsin people um, going over the top of the the fair they have pig races they have pig races right so we you, and you have to wait for them in the sun to see the pigs race uh, so we did that um, we rode the big Ferris wheel that was there. Um, and the, the food is fantastic. The food was very good. But what, one of the things they're famous for at the Wisconsin State Fair is the cream puffs. They make thousands upon thousands upon thousands of these things. And uh, they're very good. We had a large box, and the four of us devoured them um, with cream puff stuff all over us. Something unique happened while we were there. We were standing in line for the Ferris wheel. All right, you guys have been in long lines before, right, where they kind of shuffle you back and forth between these metal things. And, and they, move, they move us very well in Wisconsin. I told my sons, I go, it's like they're moving cattle. They like really quickly through these lines. They did a fantastic job. Um, but so we're standing in line for the Ferris wheel. It, Josiah, Adam, and Lucas are standing in front of me. We're standing there talking, and one of my younger kids grabs my hand, right? Now, I, I grab their hand. And immediately, a few things flash through my mind. As I turn to look down to see one of my kids, uh, to see who it is that grabbed my hand, I realize all my younger kids are in Illinois, <laughs> right? If you're paying attention, my three older kids are the ones that are with me. So apparently, this is not one of my kids' hands I'm holding. So I looked down, and a uh, four- or five-year-old boy had reached up and grabbed my hand. And you know how you're shuffling in line like that? He had just stepped forward a little too far beyond his dad and uh, grabbed my hand. And having seven kids, my hand's natural reaction when a tiny hand grabs it is I'm going to grab it. You know, it's, just, it's just what it is. So I leaned down, buddy, I'm, you grabbed the wrong hand. And I, I draw his hand back to his father and kind of hand him his hand. Um, it was a little awkward for a moment, probably because of the way I reacted, because I didn't, you know, just go, what are you doing, or, or just slap it, or go, that's your dad, I'm not your dad, you know, maybe they all, it was just the way, you know, like I said, having seven kids that I held on to it and kind of handed it off and, and kind of drew his hand back to him. Um, <clears throat> as I thought about that later, uh, it just got me thinking a little bit about Jesus and God the Father. And that kind of handoff. And, and how does that work? What is actually happening? Is God handing us to Jesus? Is Jesus coming and grab us and hand us back to, to God? And what, what's going on there? Um, and in the backdrop of that, I was preparing for this sermon. And uh, John 6.44, if you want to turn there, 
I've been studying John for, for quite a long time and working through it very slowly, just kind of reading it and, and, and reading a commentary and kind of spending some time on it. And occasionally I get hung up on a verse or two or a word and I just kind of stop and spend some time thinking about it. And previous to going to the fair, I had been stuck on this verse, John 6.44, and particularly a word in this verse that says this. The verse is John 6.44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on that last day. Now that's Jesus speaking, and the word was draw. Um, no one can come to me, Jesus is saying no one can come to him unless the Father draws the person to Jesus, and I will raise him up on that last day. Well, three or four months ago, in between the, the, the two starting preparation and, and going to the fair, I came to see Pastor Jim about a few things, and we were talking, he said, hey, how's the sermon going? And so this is where I'm at. I'm thinking about this verse and this word draw. And um, I haven't done a lot of word studies, but this, this one's kind of caught my attention. And he said, oh, John 6, 40. Well, what about John 12? And I said, well, what about John 12? I'm only in John 6. I haven't gotten there yet. He said, well, John 12, Jesus talks about um, drawing all men to himself. So he, he looks it up. And John 12, 32, which are the two verses at the top of the outline, John 12, 32 says this, and I if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Um, and quickly, Pastor Jim looked it up, and it's the same word. It's the Greek word, helko. And it means to draw or to drag off, to be drawn by an inward power, helko. What I'd like to do this morning is um, do a little bit of a word study on this word, helko, uh, as I looked at it. It's not going to be a real big deep dive. We're just going to kind of skim across some areas where it kind of a low-level look at other places it's used in the Bible and help define it a little bit. Um, and as I was looking at that word, dragged or drag, there's another word in the Bible called suro, which is translated the same way often, but has a very different meaning. So I want to look at both of those and uh, just get a feel for the difference between those two words, how they affect us, and how they might prompt us um, to act and what we should do in regards to our friends and family that are non-believers. As I looked at these words and, and um, what God would do, that's where God kind of took me, took me to prompt me um, to do something a little differently than the way I had before regarding friends and family and people that I knew that did not know Christ. So if you look at your outline, the very first item there is that word helco and as I said it's translated a few different ways the first one I want to look at is John 21 verse 6 and I'm going to move around through a, a few verses here especially at the beginning we're not going to spend the entire time doing that and actually the, the message is going to feel a little bit like a holiday message um, it's not going to be that long. We're going to move kind of quickly uh, through these. So John 21, verse 6. And I'm going to back up a little bit. I'm going to read it, verse 4. So John 21, 4 through 7. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast it, 
and they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his armored garment because he had been stripped for work and he threw himself in the sea. So in verse 6, this word helco is translated haul. So if you could picture all these fish flopping around, resisting in a net, and they cannot haul it in, right? That's how helco is used here. Two more times it's translated as the word dragged. And those are both in Acts. The first one is Acts 16. Sixteen nineteen. And this one, just to give you the context, I'm going to read from 16 through 19. So Acts chapter 16, verse 16 through 19. And it happened as they were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. But when her masters saw that the hope of their prophet was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. So there it's dragged. And again in Acts 21.30, involving Paul again in preaching, then all the city was provoked, and the people rushed together. And taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Helco, to draw or to drag off. The last one is in James chapter 2, verse 6. James 2, verse 6. I'm going to read 5 through 8. Listen, my beloved brethren. Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So there it is again, drag. The word helco, to draw or to drag off. There's a clear sense in this word, if you think about the way we've seen it so far, that the object being drawn is fighting it. Right? Like the fish in the net. Paul and Silas were not willingly heading to the authorities. Paul was not willingly being dragged out of the temple. And people are not walking around wishing being taken to court. There's a clear sense with the word helco that those that are being dragged or drawn away are actually fighting it. And again, as I mentioned, as I, as I studied that word and was looking at draw and dragged, I stumbled across the second word, suro. That's the second point on the outline. 
And again, it's very much like it. It means to draw or to drag. But as I look, as I look at some of the definitions of it, and we'll look at a few verses where it's at, the definition goes a step further, and it says this. This dragging is to prison in this case, or a dragging to punishment, which is not something we see with the word helco. But with this word suro, we do, even though it's often in English translated to the same word. So Acts 8.3, here it's tra uh, translated as dragging. Acts 8.3 says this, Paul, be or, I'm sorry, but Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women to put them in prison. So this is Saul, right, pre-conversion, and he's dragging people off, not just to remove them from a situation, but to take them to prison. It's a very different word, a very different context, even though it's translated the same. Acts 14, 19, the second time, another time, it's also translated dragged instead of dragging. Acts 14, 19 says, but the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. So this dragging, in this case, is like a throwing away, which is some of the other definitions that talks about, you know, we're not just removing, but this suro is a dragging because they think he's a dead body. They're just throwing it away. And the last one we'll look at today for Suro is from Revelation. Revelation 12, 4. It's translated swept away here, and it's regard to the dragon and some of the destruction that's happening. His tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth. This very violent scene that's happening in heaven. Even though in English, as we see these words, drag, dragging, hauled, they seem very similar. They are, they are very different. It's so much more violent, suro versus helco. Now, as we think about this in regards to God the Father and to Jesus, um, and how he seeks after the lost and how he works in our lives and, and as we've seen him work individually in our lives and the lives of others, often God's aggressiveness matches our resistance. But he's never overly violent, like this word suro. But when he draws us, he will use the force that he needs to bring us to the Lord Jesus. But from what I've seen practically in life and what I see in the scriptures, it's always in a very helco sort of way, right? It's firm enough, but it's never in a suro sort of way, never a violent, punishing sort of way. Now, as I worked through those two words and, and, and really looked again to that first verse of of John 6:44 that the father needs to draw people to Jesus. Can I draw people to Jesus? Well, not like the father can. Can you draw people to Jesus? Well, not like the father can. But we do have a responsibility. We do have work to do 
regarding our lost friends, family, and people we know. Certainly we are to witness. Certainly we are to share our testimonies. Certainly we are to share the gospel of Jesus, to tell our story, to tell his story of redemption in each one of our lives. Where I was really prompted, though, was because I can't draw people to Jesus the way God can. Where I was prompted is along the lines of prayer. And maybe changing the way I pray. I often pray for the people that um, are not saved the same way over and over. And I feel like God just kind of changed that a little bit. And I'd like to go through that with you a little bit and give you an idea of um, launching from that word, Helco, what that could look like, and kind of move on from there. So we're on the back page of the outline, our responsibility. I thought to myself, when we get to this our responsibility and, and the conclusion, I thought, this is about the time Pastor Jim finishes his introduction. So we're moving a little quicker. To pray for the lost in our lives. And the very first thing that should prompt us is that first verse, that God the Father would draw those people to Jesus. Isn't that a different way to pray today? Specifically pray that God the Father would draw that person in your life that you're praying for to Jesus. John 6, 44. Romans 10. Verse 14. It's the second point. That God would send people to share the gospel with these lost souls. 10, 14, and 15 says this, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Pray that God would send people to share the gospel of the lost souls. And the third one, that the lost in our lives would accept and would receive God's free gift of grace. That they would receive God's free gift of grace. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. And not just a gift, but to us, a free gift. Pray that God would draw people to Jesus. Pray that God would send people to share the gospel. Pray that the lost would receive the free gift. Free gifts are, are often hard for people. Right? People usually feel like they have to pay something. But this one, we are unable to pay. They are unable to pay. We need to pray that people are willing to accept the free gift of Jesus. The last time I, I spoke up here, one of the, one of the points was um, moving quickly with the gospel. I mean, I think I literally said something like, we're not sure who's going to make it home today. Um, and I think that's still true. I think there's a time we need to just be bold and we need to share the gospel quickly with people. But I think also um, we need to be patient 
especially in our prayers for people. It could take years for people as God works on their heart. So the second point under our responsibility, patiently pray more for the lost in our lives. I feel like this is just a little bit of a bunny trail from the message, but it's where God led me when I was, when I was studying this. So I, I want to look at Matthew 13, 19 through 22. And as I was thinking about praying and, and how praying differently, this is what God really brought to mind. And I just, I just wanted you to have this um, on there and, and, and how God was working with me regarding these verses. It's a very familiar passage, but we're going to look at it slightly differently maybe than you ever have. Patiently pray more for the lost in our lives. So Matthew 13, 19 through 22 says this. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one whom the seed has sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And on the one whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word. And the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. In regards to praying for uh, the lost people that we know in our lives that, that need to come to know Christ as Savior, I would make these three points. That we should specifically pray that they understand the message so that the evil one cannot snatch it away. Verse 19 says, when they hear the word of the kingdom and do not understand it, that's when the evil one comes and snatches it away. We should pray specifically against that, that they would understand the message. Verses 21, 20 and 21, that the truth would take root so that they can endure tribulation and persecution. They hear the word with joy, yet it has no firm root in himself, but only temporary, so that when this affliction, when this persecution comes, it's easily taken away. We should pray that they not only hear the word, that people are not only sent, but that the word takes root in their lives. And number three from verse 22, that the cares of the world would not choke out the truth from their heart. The cares and the distractions of the world do not choke out the truth from their heart. So the original word we were looking at was helco, right? From John 6, 44. To draw. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on that last day. The time I spent looking at that word, I, I looked at some different things kind of around it. And what I discovered, there was a, there's a root word for Helco, 
And the root word is hireho. And it means to take for oneself. Hireho is the root word for helco, and it means to take for oneself. Where do we find that word? In the scriptures, 2 Thessalonians 2.13. Second Thessalonians 2.13 But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. So as we looked at that Helco and Suro and the two drawings and that God does this drawing very firmly and strong, but not like a surreal, violent, punishing sort of way. The reason those are different is because that root word is hireho, because it's about God taking us, not to throw us away, but to be with him. God was not drawing us out, or does not draw us out to throw us away, like when they thought they were throwing Paul's dead body away. God does not drag us pull us away, draw us, to throw us in jail like Paul was doing with the early church. God is taking us to be with him. Vine's expository dictionary in the definition of this word hireho is this. Its special significance is to select rather by an act of taking than by just showing preference or favor. Its special significance is to select rather by an act of taking than just showing preference or favor. God is drawing us in a helco sort of way, not a surreal way. Why? Because he wants us with him. He sent Jesus to deliver us with a grasp that is gentle enough to know it's loving, but firm enough that no one can snatch us out of his hand. We should pray that God the Father would draw people to Jesus. We should pray that those would be sent to share the gospel with the lost. We should pray that the lost would accept the free gift of grace. Pray that people that don't believe would understand the message before the evil one snatches it away. Pray that the root, that the truth would take root because tribulation and persecution will come. And pray that the cares of the world would not choke out the truth from their heart. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gift of the cross. And as we go to celebrate communion in a few moments, as we remember that sacrifice, Lord, we thank you for it. Lord, we pray this morning that you'd be drawing the lost to you. We pray, Father, that you would be sending those to share your message into the world. We pray that your free gift of grace would be accepted by all those out there, Father, and that they would turn 
and become part of your eternal kingdom, Lord, accepting the gift of grace. We thank you and praise you for all these things. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen.